sorry I don't love you A fresh I've grown accustomed to Cause with you if something isn't wrong Something isn't wrong Something isn't right Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is back, as is Tim Matthews. We are talking about Mission Impossible Fallout today. We have hit the sixth movie, finally. And, you know, we've sort of been cranking these out pretty regularly here. You know, we would do two, have another episode in between, do two more. So, you know, I hope you all have been enjoying these. I have certainly been enjoying watching the movies for the first time and rewatching a couple of them, maybe. I was still a, a little unclear on which ones I had actually watched before, but I definitely had not watched four, five, or six. So I just <laughs> saw this one in theaters here. But Tim, I know because this one is a lot more recent, you and I both forgot to take notes in the theater. So, yes. <laughs> you know, we're going off of memory for a lot of this one here. And I apologize for any details we might miss for this one. But as usual, we're going to start off with some casting discussion because we have new people on this one and they are some big names. You know, you may have heard of Henry Cavill and Angela Bassett. I think he's done a few things. Yeah. You know, they Superman. Who knows who that is? <laughs> a, little, a little character. Yeah. A little indie movie. Yeah, Angela Bassett was in Black Panther, too. So we got lots of superheroes in this one, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I kept waiting. For, I kept waiting for them to use their powers, and they never did. I know. Like, really? August Walker? That's not a new name for Clark Kent here? <laughs> I know. Seriously. I mean, well, I, I don't. I was I was going to make a joke, but that's kind of a, a Batman versus Superman spoiler. I don't know if anyone would get mad at me for that anyway, but but I won't use it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I think, you know, both Henry Cavill and Angela Bassett were great additions to this cast. One thing I did make note of when I got home from the theater, though, was I felt like Angela Bassett was a little underused as Erica Sloan. You know, she is in this huge position of power. And, you know, she kind of pulls that card at the beginning when we first see her and August Walker walk up and everything like that. And... You know, I just kept wanting to see more of her. And we did see her here and there throughout the movie. And I think the ending when she showed up was nice. And we, we won't spoil the ending just yet, but we will be getting there. So consider yeah. yourself warned here. <laughs> but to have so much of the cast again roll over for this movie and then to add these two people on top of it, it's just like, wow, how much money did they spend on this thing? Because even though Angela Bassett wasn't in it a ton, you can bet she got paid nicely for it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she she definitely, I mean, she kills it in every scene she's in. Um, and I definitely wouldn't have been mad to, uh, to have uh, more from her. There's something so authoritative and badass about, like, everything she said. And she got a ton of great lines to just chew up scenery with. I mean, even to, even in the beginning of her just saying, uh, "You use a scalpel. I prefer uh, I prefer a hammer." Like it's such a cool line, and the way she delivers it, you're just like, you're like, oh, I'm kind of on her side, even though I want to be on Ethan's side because I've been with Ethan for the past five movies. But you're pretty cool, but also kind of scary. <laughs> exactly. You know, she is one of those characters too, where you have to respect her just because of 
who she is in the movie and you know with Henry Cavill's August Walker that's a little different because he's sort of just like a spook yeah and he obviously just does whatever she tells him to to an extent again Mm -hmm. we'll get we'll get into that (laughs) a little more later but it's one of those things where like I said in the previous episode Ethan doesn't trust anyone no matter who they are, you know, it could be the president and he wouldn't trust the president. So it's just one of those things where he's very wary of these two people just barging in and sort of mixing everything up. Absolutely. Yeah. Like here, here they are ready, you know, ready to go, ready to take care of this mission. And then all of a sudden uh, he, he's got this, this CIA agent being forced upon him to, to go along with him, throwing a, a wrench into the, into the plans, uh, into the team, which, you know, they have such a good rapport that, you know, they flow and they work so well together. But now here's this additional person. It's like, how, you know, how, how are our plans going to work out? Is this guy going to screw everything up? And he, he tries subtly to get rid of him a few, a few times. Just ever so subtly. <laughs> <laughs> that adds some comedy to the movie too, though. And I think, you know... Henry Cavill as Superman was a little controversial. I think it was more so the writing than necessarily his performance. At least, you know, that's sort of my opinion on it. It's like if the movie Man of Steel had been written better, it would probably be better. (laughs) So, you know. No, yeah, I agree. Like he, because we've seen uh, a little bit. I mean, a little bit in that movie. Um, and then, you know, when he finally gets to be like his Superman self in uh, in Justice League, you're kind of like, why can't we? Like, he is really, really good at being that Boy Scout. And so it hopefully will be that hopefully we'll get to, you know, see more of that at some point. But it is unfortunate to to see. It's like, oh, man, like he can pull that off really well. I wish we had that earlier. But then obviously his character in this is quite the juxtaposition to that role. Exactly. And I just like that he seems to be able to do a little more with this role. You know, we've mentioned how Jeremy Renner was able to ad lib some stuff in previous movies. And I feel like stuff like that really helps the tone of the movie. And Mm -hmm. throughout this entire thing, you have this tension between Ethan and August and that works so well with the two actors that they have in those roles. So it's one of those things where, you know, maybe you don't end up liking August so much by the end of the movie, but Henry Cavill works really well in the role. Absolutely. Uh, he He's so awesome in this movie. And uh, I mean, I, I had mentioned, you know, before we recorded, uh, I went and I saw it for... Uh, to watch it again for the podcast because I hadn't seen it since it first came out, but I've seen it a total of three times and uh, the movie, it definitely still uh, holds up after three times. It's still just as awesome, but uh, the, the scenes with Henry Cavill are some of my favorites because he, he, it's, he, it's tough to do. I mean, he, cause he's, you know, in a lot of scenes where he's up against Tom Cruise, but I feel like he even successfully steals scenes from Tom Cruise. Um, uh, but it's, they, they kind of steal them back and forth from each other and they're, they're a really, really great pair, but the director was very, uh, the director and Tom Cruise were both very conscious of, they didn't want it to feel like 
like the beginning of a beautiful friendship type thing. Like they, they wanted it to be this like antagonizing relationship that while entertaining, you're not sitting there being like, I think they might become friends. And I think they do that. I think they do that really, really well. The, the way they kind of spar against each other with these just little like quick side remarks or, or, or anything like that. Um, they're both, they're both just so great together in all their scenes. Exactly. Well, why don't you go ahead and break down the story a little bit for us here? Because <laughs> you watched this more than once. So I feel more confident in your description of it than mine right now. <laughs> all right. So uh, in the beginning, uh, no, <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, the this movie is building off of Rogue Nation. One of the things that uh, one of the things that's very different with uh, with this film is it doesn't start with a um, a massive action sequence, which is unusual for this uh, for this series. So we're given um, we're given a scene where well, we're introduced through a haunting dream sequence um, that we see uh, Ethan's former wife, Julia, um, and his fears of him not killing someone like Lane could uh, could have, gr- you know, great consequences. Um, but following that, we get the scene where he's provided with his mission um, in a very cool uh, fashion um, where he opens the door. And anytime I'm watching a spy movie, I love when they have the uh, the little dialogues, uh, the call and response uh, things to know that um, they're delivering something to the right person. Um, but in that message, uh, we're introduced to the fact that while Lane was captured um his apostles his followers um are being led by this mysterious man john lark who and they are continuing to carry out all the 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 grand disasters and mis disasters and misdeeds of of uh of the syndicate um so that you know yeah we caught the the guy in charge but they're still uh all going about you know doing bad things and then that's the so that's the main like uh, kickoff of the plot, and then so we have Ethan and his team. They are trying to to acquire the plutonium that the syndicate is trying to also get. So they're trying to get the plutonium so that the syndicate doesn't have the plutonium. Naturally, things go wrong in that opening scene with the team. Luther almost gets killed. Thankfully, does not. But naturally, they lose the plutonium. Um, and so now, because they've lost the plutonium, that's kind of what brings in Sloane and, and Henry Cavill, that it's Ethan and his team, they screwed up. And in her her comments of saying, you guys are just a, you know, a bunch of kids you know, playing Halloween with your masks. You know, I'm sending yeah. in my guy to make sure that everything goes right. That Halloween line was a great one too. Oh, so, <laughs> I really loved line. it. Yeah. Cause you're sitting there and you're just like, that's another one where you're like, well, I mean, she's kind of right. Like she's not, she's not wrong, but, uh, but at the same time they get things done in an impossible way. So that's the main crux of the story is that this plutonium's out there and naturally they want to find Lark. I don't recall how they figure it out, but probably in some spy way, they figure out where Lark is going to be. And uh, we get the amazing halo jump that is insane that Tom Cruise actually did. So they they assume that they find Lark. Fantastic bathroom scene. That goes wrong. But 
in that going wrong, we get back one of our previous favorite characters, Ilsa, who is back with MI6, uh, and her job is to kill Lane because since Lane was a former MI6 agent, he knows way too much about MI6, right. and they can't afford to have him just being passed around all these governments. So she's thrown into the mix, but Ethan ends up being roped into having to save Lane and have to keep him alive because he's got to get the... Uh, the plutonium back and then and through that we're introduced to the broker which is one of my favorite additions to to this film yeah max from the first movie's daughter and oh my gosh she does such a good job playing her daughter like just all the little minute ways of how she says it oh so it it is her daughter i didn't even catch that yeah it it, it is good catch (laughs) yeah she uh in her speech um, she mentions her mother's name is Max. Um, and then uh, as Ethan's walking in, she kind of connects with, uh, locks eyes with Ethan right. as she says she had a thing for paradoxes. And you can tell that Ethan is just like, this is a very familiar line and this is, and there's something familiar about her. Um, but I don't think he, I don't know if he ever necessarily puts puts them together, but there's just something about that. Um, so they have a great, uh, you know, um, back and forth together more than once too, which I think makes it work even better. And, you know, she's the white widow. She's not directly a villain, but it's just one of those things where she's so in between. It's like, okay, what do we think of her this entire time? Because obviously she's feeding information to the CIA, but then Absolutely. she's still getting to run her little crime ring, so to speak. You know, she's the go-between for all of these various criminals. And oh yeah, I think having her be in this and, you know, I'm a little bummed I didn't catch on the Max thing. I think it was probably because I was so focused on everything else that was going on in the oh, room yeah. <laughs> that I kind of, you know, missed some of the words there, you know, and remember, I have seen it three times. So it's <laughs> also true. Also true. And like I said, I forgot to take yeah. notes. So seeing it three times versus one time is probably better for the memory. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's such a cool uh, it's such a cool little Easter egg that then doesn't it doesn't play like cheap fan service like it 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 suits the it suits the story so well and she's a great addition to it um i definitely would love to see her uh be a returning uh character you know even if for small parts in in future movies um but yeah she plays her own game you know it's it's whatever um it's whatever gets her what she wants and what she needs and so you know the the CIA obviously would probably try to take her down, but it's like, well, instead of doing that, how about I feed you some information and I keep doing my own thing and we all win. And as we, we've seen a lot in in the previous movies and really in most, uh, you know, espionage films, there's that there's that gray area of, you know, what are what are the right what's the right and moral decision, but also what's the right decision uh, that we need to make in order to, you know, get what we need, the greater good. You know, the big thing with Ethan is that, uh, and there's the great speech that Alec Baldwin gives that he cares about the one life. And we're introduced to that with, uh, you know, especially with the scene with Luther and, you know, 
the CIA, you know, you have uh, Sloan's viewpoint of it is, no, it's all about the bigger purpose. It's all about the bigger picture. If you have to sacrifice that one life, you have to do it. Ethan's not willing to do that. And that's something that Alec Baldwin's character, Huntley, you know, loves about him. And, um, you know, I love the line where he, where he says, um, you know, I, I, I want you to prove, I want you to prove, prove me right. You know, coming over to the IMF, uh, was a lateral move. And he, and he goes, some say a step down, you know, it's, right. Alec Baldwin has a lot of fun little quips in this one and, uh, definitely more a part of the team, um, since he was kind of roped into it, uh, at the end of, uh, Rogue One. But yeah, so there's a, a there's a lot of moving parts uh, in this movie, but at the same time, it's it's one of the more simplistic uh, plots of the of the series as well. That you know, it's they they lost bombs, they got to get the bombs back, and uh, they're trying to uncover who John Lark is. Um, which, because that all goes wrong, and the guy gets uh, shot in the face by Ilsa, you know, after. Henry Cavill gets to reload his arms in the in the most awesome bathroom fight scene, which I'm not afraid to say every time I saw it in, in theaters and every time I saw the trailer in theaters, when he would reload his arms, I would also do it. And it was a lot of fun. So I, I'd, I'd give a shout out to that trailer because that's definitely one of the best trailers uh, for for a movie, um, in my opinion. But I guess Ethan has to assume... Uh, the role of John Lark, which uh, gives us that great scene um, with the uh, White Widow. I keep wanting to say Black Widow, and that's yeah, White it. Widow. Uh, yeah, I, I and, know it's um, hard not to want. To, <laughs> it's hard to not say Black Widow, considering how many superheroes they put in here. So yeah, <laughs> and um, they when their little escape scene is also uh, a ton of fun, um, where they get that they get this really. Uh, great little fight sequence that almost plays like this dance because they're, um, you know, trying to get uh, trying to get out of there. And then like Ethan's fighting off one guy, but then she pulls out the knife. And then as he's holding someone, she's stabbing them. And then, you know, they uh, almost get taken out by one guy. And then Ilsa comes and does her crazy leg kicks that she's really good at and uh, and stops that gun. And then Ethan almost gets shot again and then Walker shows up and, uh, you know, whips his, uh, great hair and just, you know, stares right at the camera. And, (laughs) um, and, uh, and from there, then Ethan, Ethan's, you know, in deep at this point, he's brought back to, uh, the, the white widow's, you know, home base, uh, which is probably her home, a very, very nice home. And, um, and introduced to the fact that he now has to play this role to break out the one guy that he worked so hard to catch in the in the last movie, which really, really terrific sequence uh, in this scene where they tell Ethan the plan. And then it goes into this very intense scene where the music um the music is definitely at a higher level than uh, than the sound effects and the gunfire, but right. the camera following Ethan, and we very clearly see Ethan's never firing a shot. You know, he's following through, trying to play the role, but he's still Ethan. He's not yeah. going to kill the innocent life, and then uh, he ends up having to turn and uh, and shoot the cop, 
and then everyone's standing around him. He has to pull off the the mask and shoot him, and then boom, revealed that didn't really happen. Uh, but I I don't know about you, but when I saw the movie for the first time, uh, I I was uh, there. There were a few moments in this movie that they did a really nice job in convincing me that they might be upping the stakes and taking us somewhere new uh, in this series. One was that scene. Um, I got fooled on that. And I got fooled on the um, the bombs going off uh, in the beginning. I was like, I was like, holy crap. I was like, I was like, are they really going to uh, like let this ride that this is the, the, you know, the biggest mistake that the, that Ethan and his team have ever made. I was like, I don't know how they, uh, you know, get past this, but then, you know, fantastic, uh, callback to the first movie of when, you know, Ethan says, did we get it? And Luther says, we got it. And then the walls fall down. And it's just like in the beginning of the first movie where it was just a set, just to trick them to get the information they need. So we kind of tracked back to the beginning there, uh, for a moment, but, um, back to the middle of the movie. I think it's the middle. I don't know. This was also, this is the longest Mission Impossible movie yet. Uh, but as we said in the last episode, um, I don't know about, uh, about you, but it doesn't feel like it's two and a half hours. Not at all. Yeah. The, the pacing does a really nice job, you know, making it feel like a breeze. Uh, so you're not checking your watch. Um, but yeah, so here, here we're at, okay, Ethan, he's in deep. How's he going to get himself out of this? And, uh, has Walker, I think Walker has given the phone back to Sloan at this point, the phone from who we thought was Lark. And it's revealed that the phone that Ethan grabbed was cracked. The phone that uh, Walker gives to, yes, this has happened because Walker yeah. has given the, given the phone back, but it's perfectly fine. I absolutely loved how they made this um, story choice to rather than doing the typical you know, let's seed it till the end of the movie and then boom, reveal that Walker's a bad guy. I love that they just outright are like, nope, here you go. Here's one quick thing. He's a bad guy. And so now we get to watch this unfold where we know he's the bad guy and watch how he's going to continue to play Ethan and his team while Ethan's still trying to, you know, piece everything together. And I think that's done really, really well. Plus that speech he gives to Sloan too. You know, like how many times can the government turn his back or turn their back on him? And he's just going to take it when in reality, he's talking about himself. And we sort of piece that together later. And, you know, obviously, we eventually get to the part where they do get Lane and they get him to this sort of warehouse bunker type place. And that's when it's revealed that they thought Lark was Ethan. And obviously, by Such now, yeah, by now they've sort of figured it out. So they're all just c- going along with it. And August is the one left in the dark. And I like how they just turn the tables on him. And it's like, okay, you know, they were still figuring this out as we were, even though we weren't seeing what, or even though they weren't seeing what we saw as an audience, you know, they didn't see him hand that phone to Sloan. And I think, you know, again, it just goes back to Ethan not trusting people, especially new people who just come in and are like, well, you got to deal with me. He's like, nope, no, I don't. (laughs) Absolutely. that scene, too, with Hunley, it's just done so well. And obviously... Such a good performance by Alec Baldwin. 
Absolutely. And obviously, we end up losing him. And I really love the use of the masks again, especially in this scene where Benji gets to wear the mask. Yes. <laughs> Finally. And it takes August just long enough to figure it out mm-hmm. to where he's like, oh, crap. They know. <laughs> yeah. It's and it's such a good scene between the two of them. And, you know, it's just as you mentioned, you know, you know, Walker you know, making that comment of, you know, how, how long before, you know, one man has had, has had enough. And we learn that, you know, clearly speaking for, for him, I feel like when he says the line to, uh, to Lane, when he's like, why'd you have to make this so effing complicated? It's almost like, it's almost speaking on the, the classic villain trope of just like, we have a plan that we're trying to, you know, just do what the syndicate does. But you just have such you you have it out for Ethan Hunt so much that it you can see his frustration in why aren't we focusing on our plan? You're just trying to mess with the you're trying to mess with this guy and um and he's you know just a tiny link in the in the chain. He's he's nothing. Um and then uh having you know Benji slash Lane you know playing off of it, he kind of. I, I love that he this was something that I, I learned on the the listening to Chris McQuarrie talk about the scene that I guess what is, is it Sean Harris who plays Lane? Yes, I believe so. Yeah. So apparently he kind of uh, ups his performance in this scene um, into almost a very like villainy, like twirling his mustache kind of way because he's sitting there and he says, he says, I'm Benji playing Lane in this scene. And he's like, and Benji thinks he's giving like the performance of his lifetime. And then when uh, Walker like realizes who it is, you can see like Benji, like you, even though it, like Sean Harris, I feel like does a really great, great job. Like right before the reveal of doing a very, uh, a very Simon Pegg, like, expression on his face of just like absolutely what are you like what are you what are you talking about no no it's it's fine and then he just rips the mask off and then and then you've got uh alec baldwin right behind him with a couple really great a couple more really great lines from him where it's just like takes the gun and it's not loaded and he's like oh you were doing so well (laughs) he's like i think this one's loaded do you want to find out and you can I love that they they lean into his excitement of being part of the team, like even to the point of him just like turning to them being like, I see why you guys enjoy this. <laughs> and then them all just being like, welcome to the welcome to the team, sir, which, of course, adds to the heartbreak when he gets stabbed. Why don't we jump ahead a little bit here? Because obviously they end up traveling quite a ways to go after Lane after he gets away. And that happens sort of in all of the chaos and everything after that reveal. A lot of running. A lot yes. of running. <laughs> Definitely a lot of running. And I think this is the most running he's done in the entire series. Quite possibly. And, <laughs> you know, we'll we'll talk about that a little more when we discuss the action scenes. But, you know, at first we don't know if we're going to see Julia in this movie. And then we do and she has this whole new life and everything and i i can't remember the exact location they went to but it was sort of this remote area and they're cashmere. just cashmere yes and they're helping out you know this village basically and you can tell that this place doesn't have resources 
at all. So having all of the doctors there helping and, you know, giving out vaccines and whatever else they were doing is something that was crucial. And Lane uses that to his advantage because he knows exactly where to hit Ethan where it hurts. And at this point, you know, Walker is already helping Lane. We we already know who he is. And oh, I yeah. think that just sort of builds, continues to build up in such a nice way to where, you know, Ethan has everything on the line here. And yeah, yeah. I feel like while we've seen that in other movies, I feel like, you know, Lane is a much more real threat to her, to Julia specifically. Yeah. He's the, he's the, you know, he's, he's like the ultimate chess player. You know, he's always, you know, he's, he's always like 20 moves ahead of, of Ethan, you know, even the fact that he, even in the fact that he was captured at the end of Rogue Nation, you would assume that he had plans that if I was captured, this is what the apostles are to do. And some of the, and some of those plans clearly included Walker being the guardian angel and setting up this, you know, giving them this massive budget to go help these people and revealing that, uh, in that elevator, uh, sequence, um, which was a, a terrific, a terrific reveal of, you know, that's when, you know, we knew we were going to end up seeing, definitely end up seeing, uh, Julia. Cause he puts that picture down and he's just like, you, you know, you follow me, she dies. You try to warn her, she dies. I, even those lines are very much a play on the syndicates, uh, you know, mission accept message in the beginning of, of uh of rogue nation of just you can't stop us you know we we are everywhere we are all these steps ahead of you don't even bother trying to trying to save the day you know just saying you've lost and in any way that you think you can help people they die it's it's very very impactful um and i feel i feel like you believe that this organization definitely has all these resources and 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 could be successful in pulling this off. I, they do a really nice job of making the, that, you know, even though you know it's Mission Impossible and you know they're going to succeed, I feel like it also does a nice job of having a real less realistic feel of they've placed all the pawns in the right way and could win. Right. Well, why don't we go ahead and talk about some action scenes? Because one of the biggest action scenes comes in those sort of final moments of the movie and everything, which we will surely talk about that, but I want to jump back to all of the running. And this is probably the most comical, I would say that his running has been. Yeah. And obviously you have Benji giving him directions after Walker gets away (laughs) and he's looking at it in 2d, which is a big problem for Ethan. And, you know, you have Benji asking him at one point, he he's run into an office building and Benji's like, what are you waiting for? He's like, I'm jumping out of a window. (laughs) And then the whole office is just staring at him. And he, you know, you can tell that he's hesitating, but it's not because he's not going to jump. He's just like, what did Benji get me into sort of thing is how I took it. And, you know, it's sort of like when you had, Brant in Ghost Protocol and he had to jump down that giant vent basically and hope that Benji's magnet stopped him from being impaled so you know and obviously Benji is giving instructions both times so you know there's a little bit of a parallel there yeah (laughs) 
Absolutely. And I mean, it's there's so, so much running in the in the scene. I mean, this this is even where we get the the infamous uh, scene where Tom Cruise broke his leg and the shot is still in the movie because that's the that's the shot they had. And that scene, it still gets me even after watching it three times where the way they the way they track the shot and have him running across the building and then the camera's view from up as he jumps across and you're like, all right, he made that one. And then he jumps across the next one. Oh, he made that one. But then it brings out this long pan shot. And from the trailers, everyone knows, oh, this is the shot. And every single time I've been in theaters with, uh, with people and he makes that jump smacks into the building. Everyone just goes, Oh yeah. Um, (laughs) but, uh, so you have that and you know, that's it. Like, that's kind of at the, I think that's at the start of, of all the running in this scene. And then, you know, it leads him all through, through that building and he has to jump out through the window and, um, ends up going into the church and, the, and that's, and that's absolutely hilarious too. Cause he's right. just in the middle and he's just like, I am so sorry. <laughs> and at that point, all of the men are catching up to him too so oh, he yeah. just completely ruins this funeral yeah. <laughs> and it's a it's a big funeral too you know it is i at least in comparison to some of the ones that i have been to that was a pretty large space and yeah, it's probably someone important <laughs> right and it's obvious that all of these people are like what is going on <laughs> what are you possibly doing here and yeah. then all of these other men come in and it's just like oh all right then. Yeah. You guys do your thing. <laughs> yeah. And I love the fact that through all of this running, when we do see when they do cut to Walker, he's just walking. Like he's he's just he has kind of a maybe a brisk walk, but it's but he's he's not rushing because um that's something that I feel like with Walker's character is he's so overly confident that, you know, that he's that he's won. And I mean we're introduced that so many times throughout the movie with his character. I mean, even when they make the halo jump and, you know, Ethan's like, we got to rethink this. There's a lightning storm and everything. And he's just like out of my way. He's like, you know, you're afraid of a little lightning. You know, we're going to pull this off. And he makes the joke at the end of that too, when Ethan obviously has to save him and he's none the wiser by the time he hits the ground. He's like, Oh, you lost your oxygen tank. (laughs) Yeah. Still so like arrogantly confident of just like, yeah, I pulled this off. You uh, why why uh, why did you struggle? I thought you were, you know, the the super impressive Ethan Hunt that everyone talks about. It allows him to look very calm at all times too. Yes. You know, he's never panicking because he thinks he has the upper hand every single yeah. time whereas Ethan is sort of just making things up as he goes. And we've yeah. seen that in pretty much every single one of these movies too. It is how Ethan works and it's how he works best and we see this even more with the helicopter scene, which is wild. But Absolutely. you know, to finish up on the running, Walker knows exactly where he's going. He knows there's a helicopter waiting for him. And he knows that if he just gets to his point, the other guys will distract Ethan enough to where he won't be able to catch up. And he does catch up to him technically, but because he's underneath the elevator and not in it, that poses a slight delay for him. And by the time he makes it up to the teeny tiny rooftop there, it's (laughs) one of those things where, all right, well, can't really jump off of this roof because I don't have any 
gear to save my life if it does not work. So he sort of knows when he's been defeated, even if it's just briefly. And that never stops Ethan in this movie, which I really like. You know, Walker thinks he's gotten away with it. And Ethan knows that he might have won this battle, but not the entire thing. (laughs) Yeah, like like you said, like with Walker uh, always being so seemingly calm, that's what makes the scenes when he starts to lose it um the stand out that much more like when he gets when he gets mad at at lane you know or earlier when he when he thinks he's talking to lane you know you you see he's kind of he's kind of starting to lose it almost a little unhinged of just like i'm just trying to get this done um and you know because of you things are going wrong but then you know right after that scene when everyone thinks they've got him you know he's the, he's he's not getting away ethan says something of just like no we've got this uh we've got this ha- handled you know these you know these are all i forget the i forget the line he's, that he says but then walker just turns and in the most calm and smug way is just like do you and then just says go and then the it's revealed the the apostles are there so it's just like he 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 just he knows he's got everything um, you know, each step of the way. So here he's getting away once again. Um, and it's, it's not until like the, the helicopter fight that, that I feel like we, we really see him just let loose and just be like, like, I can't him just being like, I can't believe how insane this Ethan hunt is. You know, he's trying to ram us and all that stuff. Um, you know, I'm sure we'll, we'll get to We'll get to that, but we can do it now. (laughs) You know, I like that you call it a helicopter fight, too, because Ethan is literally fighting with the helicopter. You know, he he doesn't really know how to fly one. He's kind of figuring it out as he goes. No surprise there. And everyone's sort of like, you know how to fly a helicopter? (laughs) You know, the audience is obviously (laughs) having that same reaction. It's like, wait, does he know how to fly a helicopter? Are we sure about any of this? And I think keeping the audience unsure about it is sort of what makes it so exciting. And, you know, I specifically noted that I'm not 100% convinced that Ethan should even be alive after that because... Helicopter crashes usually do not end well for anyone, It like in reality, you know, because they're so small and just how they're built and everything. Crashing one of those is not going to bode well for anyone in a helicopter yeah. usually. And obviously this is fictional, so it, it it's a little different. <laughs> yeah. This series, while none of them have superpowers, it does ask for quite a bit of suspension of disbelief that they just, you know, it's that movie magic that something that someone should definitely not survive from, they can survive from it. And that, and that's totally fine by me because it's badass. <laughs> right. The helicopter scene in general, though, is just an amazing scene to look at. You know, oh, yeah. you have all of this snow and mm-hmm. I think it just sets a very nice background for these two helicopters and you know the one that ethan manages to finally climb into has a payload and he wants to get rid of it but he's smart enough to use it to his advantage and while it doesn't completely work it works well enough to sort of throw the other pilot off guard and yeah 
there's a moment when the pilot will not go down into the clouds where he can't see anything and he was like are you crazy and yeah at that moment i was like well ethan definitely is <laughs> so yeah, yeah. it's just one of those things where ethan is willing to go further than most other people and yeah. that's why he's able to get the results that he gets and he cuts it very very close on this one i would argue yeah. that it's closer than they've ever cut it on these but when you know he's back and laid up in one of the hospital beds even though they're not in a hospital but you know what i mean yeah benji was sort of like how close were we or yeah. how close oh, did we cut usual. it <laughs> yeah the, the usual is the answer and just the fact that that is the usual and they just take it they're like yeah. oh yeah sounds about right yeah <laughs> i think that sort of adds to just how far ethan is willing to go to save people's lives and none of it really has anything to do with him ever like yes he still has feelings for julia and we see that she has remarried now and has this great life that she honestly enjoys and she understands why her and ethan can't be together anymore they both do and i think yeah. that's part of what makes ethan's budding relationship with ilsa more interesting because like i said before in the rogue nation episode she understands everything that he goes through because she does the same kind of work. And it's almost like for those people, if someone isn't in the same line of work, the other person will just never get it completely. And Julia yeah. understands it enough to, you know, understand that they need to move forward. Yeah. I really like that they, that they closed out her story. Um, and, you know, it's just, she, she's happy, you know, it's, it's not, oh, we can't be together because you have to be off doing your thing. It's like, no, she she's getting to be out there and helping people and she gets to do it with the love of her life. It's a really nice moment when he just asks her, you know, you're happy. And she's she says, absolutely. You know, it's, I'm exactly where where I'm meant to be. And her, her husband's uh, gr uh, great as well. You know, it's when he when he says, uh, you know, uh, Sloan arrived, you know, shortly after you left, right in front of half the Indian army and, you know, still calling him doc. And, you know, it's like, clearly he's like, I, I know you're definitely not, a, not a doctor, but right. we'll, we'll let that, we'll let that keep going. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I think it did. I really enjoyed, um, wrapping her story up and just the whole, the whole team, the whole team being together and just kind of like, well, it's another, another day in the life. And, the on to the next mission i uh i guess hopefully we'll see <laughs> yeah it's gonna happen so apparently christopher mcquarrie's editor like throughout the entire time like he's working on the movie and he's just like you know you have to come back right he's like you didn't kill lane he's like you've made a trilogy you have to come back and make the other and he's and mcquarrie's just like shut up like he's he's like i need he's like i need a nap before i can ever even consider coming uh coming back to to do another one of these yeah <laughs> yeah it's and and I, I don't blame him it's the there's so much that was accomplished in this uh in this movie um on such a grand and and amazing scale you know even after the we have this insane helicopter fight but then that's not even over when they crash walker you know gets his face all burned and then they have this intense fight on top of a mountain and you know when i thought that the mo that a like a massively brutal death in the Mission Impossible series. You know, when you look at Mission Impossible 3, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character just gets like clearly had to have been beheaded by the car when it 
when it runs him over. And I thought that was bad. And then <laughs> Walker gets a, a, a helicopter hooked to the face and, <laughs> and pulled down. I was impressed that that made it into the uh, PG-13 cut. Um, and uh, and apparently Macquarie was surprised as well. He was, thought that they were definitely going to ask them to to change that. But then when they showed it to the, the MPAA, they were just like, they were like, no, nah, it's fine. You're good. And they were just like, yes. He looks a little like Two-Face, too, he after does. he gets he burned. Does. I was yeah. like, oh, okay. I don't know if that was purposeful or it just happened that way. Because, you know, even his hair, it almost felt like a Harvey Dent style. <laughs> and I yeah, was like, yeah. that's a nice touch, even if it wasn't intended. But yeah. I think for the most part, we've touched on at least some of our favorite scenes here. But I do have at least one that I want to add, and that's when we have one of the car chases, but Ethan is on the motorcycle and he's doing this without a helmet, which is perfectly legal in many places. You know, that's something that I saw when I was on the East coast. I was like, no one has to wear a helmet. That's so strange. But (laughs) you know, even in Europe, I'm sure various countries have different laws on that, but he is going so fast and he goes to cut across a street and this car just comes and lays him out on the ground because he just rides right into it and i was like okay wow yeah and he just gets up and keeps going i was like yep typical ethan so you know that was just a nice little moment in the midst of an action scene to sort of change pace you know because to go from being on a motorcycle to being thrown across a car and then being on foot it's like okay all right here we go things are getting interesting here but yeah other than that obviously some of the big scenes like the helicopter scene and even just the end with Julia helping Luther, I really liked oh, that moment too. Scene. That was great a great scene. moment. Yeah, that, yeah, no, that that was I, I definitely, I really, uh, really enjoyed their scene together because it's you, you even you learn earlier that you know she's become a ghost and that you know Luther has a sense of pride. It's like you know she's good at it. I trained her myself, and so you know that they they have this extra special relationship between the two of them right and so to see the two of them you know work together and you know benji saying over the the thing you know what are you doing let it letting her help you know tell her to get out of there and luther's just like where's she gonna go you know she she's stuck here with the rest of us she wants to help right she's not in the movie a lot but she kills it like even just with the you know she has a couple little quips and then you hear uh ilsa on the on the other side, you know, of the, the comms just being like, Ooh, I like her. Right. And, and <laughs> I think that's a very subtle, but very nice moment between the two of them too, because obviously they both have feelings for Ethan, but it's not in a competitive sort of way. Yeah. You know, Ilsa understands that Ethan will sort of always have these feelings for Julia, no matter what. And Julia is very understanding of the situation, whereas most people would be freaking out. She's just like, okay, let me help. What can I do? And Luther mm-hmm. kind of just g- gives her this look and he knows she's not going away. You know, she she has a little something similar to what Ethan has in him. You know, she's not quite as stubborn, but she is ready to risk her life to save all of these people that she just spent so much time helping. And I think that really goes to speak to her character in general, even though we don't see, like you said, a lot of her in this. It's just what we get of her character is so strong that we don't need her in more of the movie to show that. But do you have any other favorite moments from this that we didn't touch on just yet? 
Oh, oh boy. Um, Tough question. I know. <laughs> it is. It is. It's, and it's like we've talked about so much Mission Impossible that it's like blending together uh, in a good way. I don't think we've screwed up anything, though, with the two movies since no, we are yeah. recording these back to back. I was really worried that I would do that, especially since I didn't get to take too many notes on Fallout. I was like, wait, am I going to remember what happens <laughs> at all? <laughs> yeah, the uh, I'm sure someone listening and probably after we wrap, I'll end up being like, oh, why didn't we talk about that? But I feel like we covered um, really mostly... Uh, really mostly everything i mean i'm sure there uh there's little scenes here and there real quick the scene where ilsa saves benji is a really nice moment you know that that's something where we see her going up against lane and she has to choose between killing lane and saving benji and i think because of the time she has spent with ethan she makes the choice to save that one life absolutely and i i I think that's a something cool in in this movie is you have, you know, Lane, I mean, you could argue that Walker is probably the more big bad in this movie than than Lane is. But, right. you know, Lane is, you know, the head of everything. He's the yeah. big bad. And you, and it, in, a, in a typical action movie, you would expect the protagonist and the star, you would expect Tom Cruise is going to have a big major fight and, you know, finally take down the guy that is the cause for all of this stuff. Um, but the thing that this movie does so smart is that you know lane i feel like is way more ilsa's you know big bad yes it's absolutely everything that she was forced to go through uh with him in rogue nation uh you know she's give yeah she's being told by by mi6 that in order to fully be reinstated her her uh test to her her testament to them is that she has to kill Lane. Right. Um, that's how know, she even, shows her loyalty to them. Yeah. And it's like, even though that's a mission, you can also tell that there's a personal aspect of she wants to see him dead as well. And then, like you said, you know, sparing the life, you know, the, so that, um, you know, she can save uh, Benji um, is a great moment. Um, and, uh, and that, uh, the whole the whole sequence is great. Having the two of them pair, paired off, and then you have Luther and Julia, and then Ethan is off completely on his own and can't even communicate with everyone. And you you kind of see uh, some desperation even in him of you know when he's like talking to himself and he's just when the his helicopter's on fire and he's just like come on come on he's like he's like not now not when I'm this close right um, you know he he doesn't have an he usually has someone on the other line to talk to. And here he is, just doesn't want to let everyone down. Um, and uh, so that whole sequence is put together so well. And then you, uh, you, you had mentioned um, with the motorcycle scene, a fun fact with that is, so he's absolutely, you know, in typical Tom Cruise fashion, he's riding around on that motorcycle without a helmet. But he was supposed to have, because I guess the area that he was going to be riding is a lot of like cobblestone and it's wet and I guess not very good conditions for that motorcycle to to ride at those speeds you mm-hmm. know on and so I guess they had this this whole thing planned in pre-production they had this um this piece of equipment that was 
uh, going to make all of that, you know, safer. And on the day of, it failed. And uh, Macquarie says to Tom, he's like, well, he's like this, you know, this isn't working. Um, what are we going to do? And Tom Cruise says, well, we got to roll. And he hops on the motorcycle and drives off. And, um, you know, it's the dedication of, uh, yeah, that piece of safety equipment isn't working, but we got to get the shot. So let's get it. And so they reworked the scene and, um, you know, did all, uh, did all those crazy stunts of him, uh, driving around. And then the, him crashing into the car, he's, I think he's, he's attached onto some type of rig that, you know, he crashes into the car, but it like pulls him off of it, you know, just in time. Um, but you know, it's, it's just more examples of great practical effects. Um, right. But, uh, but I love in addition to you saying how there was that great, you know, kind of break in that action where he crashes and then he kind of gets up and keeps going. I love the resolve of that scene where, uh, you know, he just runs and dives into the bushes. And from an audience perspective, you're just kind of like, seriously? Like, that's <laughs> like that's where... And then it's revealed that he just cut through this netting, landed in the boat, and there's Benji and Luther and the uh, masked uh, Lane just laying there. Um, and just that great, you know, casual uh, Mission Impossible uh, little, like, score with the snare drum uh, starts, pl- starts playing. And they just... They're just on to the next thing. The cops look so baffled, too, which is great. Oh, yeah. They're like, I love it. What? <laughs> Why yeah. would he go down there sort of thing? Yeah. And, you know, obviously they have no way of knowing that Luther and Benji were down there with the boat. But for us, you're like, oh, OK, we know exactly what's about to yeah. happen now that yeah. we saw that the thing was cut and everything. But yeah. I think there are so many moments in this movie that oh, you yeah. can sort of pluck out and pick apart and i mean that in a good way i absolutely really enjoyed this movie and you know it's been hard for me to sort of figure out which is my favorite now because i've liked four five and six quite a bit and i sort of like how like you said previously they sort of tie together in a way that the first three didn't and Mm -hmm. it's just one of those things where it depends on who you have working on the movies too you know Brad Bird did an excellent job with the action scenes. Oh, and yeah. then Christopher McQuarrie came in and did the same thing. You know, you it's almost a little hard to tell that there's two different directors for these three movies, in my opinion, at least. You know, I did yeah. see some sort of Incredibles likenings in the one that Brad Bird did just because, oh, yeah. you know, he does such a great job with action both in live action films and in animation it's like okay you know this is someone who understands the importance of good action scenes and you can feel that in obviously like i said the incredibles movies as well so it's just really nice to sort of have that continuity even though not every single character carries over in all three movies i think it's just enough to where you're like okay this isn't a trilogy but it feels like a great continuation Absolutely. Yeah. uh, 100%. And that's, I mean, I'll always have a soft place in my heart for the, the first film, you know, that's the one that really, as a, as a kid, you know, I, even though as a kid, the ending never made sense to me until I was older. I just, I, I watched that movie so much and I fell in love with the series through that movie. 
and I have such great memories on it. And then I remember having a ton of fun, you know, with the second one, even though I recognized that this is, you know, kind of inferior to the first one. And then it was a while before the, the third, but I remember seeing the third one and just being like, oh my gosh, like this is awesome. And we like dove into some of like Ethan's personal life and Philip Seymour Hoffman. So, you know, such a really good villain. And, um, and then ghost protocol was the, this whole other next level of uh, action and humor and, uh, and just flow to the series and, you know, really felt like the culmination of what they wanted to strive for, you know, pieces of one, two, and three all fitting into uh, ghost protocol to, to come together, um, to be the uh, really just a, such a great tone for the series going forward. And then it was great to see, you know, Chris McQuarrie, uh, take that and honor that, but also put his own little stamp, uh, on it and add some more to the, to the story and the team. And then obviously this one, I mean, I'm, I'm right there with you. I, don't know if right now I could say <laughs> which one's my favorite. Um, yeah. uh, I've definitely had rankings and they fluctuate a lot. Uh, but Fallout is definitely is definitely up there. Ghost Protocol. Uh, I, I'm not even going to try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am horrible at ranking things. Yet I somehow keep volunteering myself to do th- things like that especially with some of the websites i write for i'm like why do i do this to myself i hate (laughs) ranking things so who knows maybe one day you and i will rank these movies and you know for a quick final thought here they wrapped this one up in such a way to where it would be totally satisfying if they didn't do another one which i know obviously people would want another one but they wrapped it up in a way where it's like okay this could be sort of a perfectly fine ending and if they want to do another one great if they don't it's not like we're really missing a piece of the puzzle so other than lane being alive i mean but yeah that's sort of something that isn't one of those things where they seem too worried about right now because they've pretty much dismantled everything he wanted to accomplish and you can see the look on his face and, you know, for all we know, when Sloan came in, they were able to somehow figure out where Lane was. I don't know. Because, you know, Ilsa and Lane have this pretty big fight and she gives him a really big gash on his leg, I think. And yeah. I, you know, I don't know how far he would make it. So he actually, um, it when they're in that scene and um, Sloan gets like a little voiceover that kind of... Uh, wraps a lot of things up okay yeah yeah, yeah. and and she um she ends up revealing that you know as a uh per ethan's request lane gets returned to mi6 and then she says through a broker of course oh right 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 yeah that that sort of scene after the end there yeah so we get that little tease with the you know there's the white widow again um and so it, it definitely like the way it wraps up, I completely agree with you. It Because he didn't escape. I think that's yeah. sort of what I was yeah. getting at. You know, it's not like he's running free. So it's just one of those things where, you know, he's alive technically at the end of the movie, but who knows for how much longer. <laughs> Absolutely. Like it definitely, if it everything feels resolved, even if 
it's that slight left open. You know, it's that slight left open of, yeah, we could do more, but I won't, I completely agree with you. Like it resolves everything just enough that, you know, it don't, it even, even the way the last moment that we have, it has this, you know, fitting end of, of just, you know, how close to become, you know, the usual. And, you know, she also makes a joke and Ethan just, you know, starts laughing and he, he clearly in all this pain from the massive amounts of ridiculous situations he gets himself into. And he says, don't make me laugh. And then the, and then, you know, it cuts to, um, cuts to black and, you know, it, it is kind of a, a fitting end to it. That is just like, this is, this is what they do. And they're the team and they're always going to be together. Um, but, uh, but having said that, I will be very upset if there's not another one. <laughs> I totally understand that. It's one of those things where, because I have watched these so close together, and, you know, like I had mentioned, I had watched the third one before, and bits and pieces of it were coming back to me as I was re-watching it because it was so long ago. I feel like, you know, with Fallout being the one that's still in theaters as we're speaking, I don't know if it necessarily will be by the time everyone is listening to this. So Quick, hopefully you've Tom all Cruise run to, to go see it. <laughs> yes. And I think, you know, right now it's a satisfying ending for, yeah. you know, this being the sixth one in theaters. And obviously with Tom Cruise getting older, not younger, it's going to be one of those things where if he can keep doing them, and they can keep making as much money as they've been making, there's not really a reason for them to stop making them. It's sort of like the Fast and the Furious movies, which are not as good of quality, in my opinion, as this <laughs> franchise is, because there have been, what, eight, nine Fast and the Furious movies? I don't know. It's a higher number uh, than you know. the six Mission Impossible movies. But I think, you know, this movie franchise has done something that the show was never able to do. And even though I didn't even know it was based on a show. So I think that kind of proves my point right there. But yeah, we'll just have to wait and see if there is going to be a seventh one. I'm sure if there is going to be one, they might announce it relatively soon. Maybe I would imagine next year. I guess that's not really like soon, soon, but it's close enough. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do think if they are going to do another one, they're certainly not going to wait uh, very long because, you know, he is getting older. Yeah. I mean, I I definitely would love to see at least one more. Um, I also wouldn't mind, you know, if after one more, you know, although at the same time, I think so I'm thinking like if they did if they did more than the next one, you know, maybe Ethan becomes the guy who gives the missions and you. Right. Uh, and he you can take be the, the secretary. Yeah. And you take and you can take the series in maybe maybe a different style and maybe the series isn't as high action. Maybe it is more espionage i i don't know but at the same time i don't know if that's what audiences would would like that might not be the direction that you know people see mission impossible as anymore i mean they're still making james bond movies so i wouldn't say that that's true anything is impossible at this point and that seems to be their motto nothing is impossible yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. the impossible mission force my 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 one friend uh uh johnny when he and i did uh did a rewatch of the movies and I think it was in Rogue Nation when they they said a f they said Impossible Mission Force like a few times and mm -hmm. and he was just kind of like you know he's like I get that that's what it stood for in the '60s TV show he's like but I feel like you know for the movies maybe they should have changed it I'm like no I'm like no they can't change it like it's it's absolutely ridiculous but they poke fun at 
the ridiculous things about the impossible mission force in all the best ways in these movies. Um, and they do it in such a, in such cheeky ways that you just accept it. You don't sit there and say, Oh, that's cheesy. You're just like, right. yes, the impossible mission force is awesome. And so is this series. Well, if there is a seventh movie, we will obviously be discussing that at some point down the line. Hopefully this (laughs) podcast is still going when that happens. We'll see. Maybe we'll have to do like a bonus episode if the news comes out or something like that. But Tim, thank you so, so much for coming on to talk about all six of these movies. And in such a short time period, I think this is the most I've had a single guest on in a what two month period I think is when we have covered all of these but I know, I'm sure your listeners are getting very sick of, <laughs> sick of me so I will give you guys a break <laughs> they'll have a lot of Harry Potter episodes to listen to soon so <laughs> so you trade you trade in some Tom Cruise running for some magic I mean yeah it's kind of the same it's <laughs> sometimes it feels that way but again thank you so much Tim and to our listeners I hope you've all enjoyed us covering this series. And as always, thank you all for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.